0: and we'll, we'll discuss them so let's open in a word of prayer let's talk Lord thank you this morning for grace Lord we see the word grace occur in Romans many many times and we learn that grace is undeserved that no one deserves to have your blessing or favor No one deserves for you to to look on them and to be kind to them, much less to be eternally kind to them through Jesus Christ unto salvation and to, to go to heaven. No one in this room deserves to touch you or to be in your presence one day. We thank you through Jesus Christ. The only reason why we can pray to you this morning and you hear us is because of the blood of your Son that makes it possible that completely covers us every aspect of the relationship we have with you is only through your grace through your son by the power of your spirit help us to honor you this morning and to be a humbled people before the truth of your word and that we would learn from these truths and we'd understand how we should apply these these things and these great thoughts to our lives Help it resonate within our minds how we should live with each other and be more like you, become more gracious, forgiving to people when they do not deserve it, to show kindness to those that are our worst enemies. Amen. Okay, so last week, finishing up on Romans 6 through 8. The transformation power of the gospel in Romans 6 is that we've received new hearts and that we've been committed or handed over to the truth by God in Romans 6, 18. And that's repeated. We've been, uh, we are no longer slaves of sin, but we've been made slaves of God and slaves of righteousness. Romans 7 then basically addresses how we're free from the penalty of the law and then it moves on to the reality that but we still see sin at work in our bodies and Paul addresses that even him as an apostle he still struggles with sin in himself he still struggles with with not being able to keep the law that he loves he now loves the law he loves obedience he loves the truth and he loves God and he's thankful to God for his grace but he still sees failures in his life happening so we find that The Christian life is not a sinless life. After you've come to repentance and belief, you're on a path of sanctification, meaning you're going toward God in love and good deeds. However, it's not a sinless life. You still struggle with sin. And the Apostle Paul gives us his example. And trust me, no one in here will be greater than the Apostle Paul. I don't believe so. (laughs) But he he gives us himself as an example that even he still had sin in his life as he was pursuing the Savior and beating his body into submission to obey him and to obey God's word and truth. Good morning. (laughs) So Romans 8 then talks about God's love and God's salvific purposes and how we are putting to death by the spirit now we have new hearts and then Romans 8 we have the power of the spirit and we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh in our body and if that's the case if you are putting to death sin the verses imply that you should have an assured heart that you are saved because you love what is right and good and you don't like it when you sin and you strive to turn away from that and stop that at all costs so you're loving what is good and you're putting to death what is still bad in your life you're working against it now by the power of the spirit and then uh, as a summary of romans 8 and we didn't get there uh, paul says this and we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god that's a key to those who love god all good things that work together are for those who love god and uh Not everyone loves God at the end of their life. Not everything is working out for good for them by God. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love God are those who are called according to God's purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Just like we talked about in Romans 6 and Romans 8. Those who have the new heart, who are striving after obedience by faith. They have a new life that God gave them through Christ by the power of the Spirit. They are predestined and they're being conformed to the image of the Son. They're purifying themselves, just as Jesus is pure. So that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. These whom he called, he justified. Romans 3, Romans 4... These whom he justified, he also glorified. So God has not justified everyone. Everyone we know in the rest of the scriptures will not be glorified. Therefore, not everyone has been predestined or called in the same way. This is what some theologians like to call the unbreakable chain of salvation. You cannot have one without the other. They are are linked. Inseparably linked. You can't take one apart from the other. If you've been called, if you've been predestined, you will be called, and you will respond to the gospel. And if you respond to the gospel, you are those who are justified, whom Christ was raised from the dead for. And the same people who were predestined, were called, were justified, will also be glorified. So that's the unbreakable chain of salvation which God starts, and God is the initiator, and God is the originals. Originating source for, And so we have him to thank. If any of us, like I pray this morning, if any of us are on our path to heaven, it's by God's grace. We all all deserve to go to hell. No one deserves this grace or kindness. Nobody deserves to have their heart regenerated. Does anybody want to think that? Does anyone in here want to boast in self and say, Christ, you needed me? There's a lot of people that claim Christianity that do think that, though. And that's blasphemy. If there's one thing I've learned that I really want to be about, it's to make sure that nobody boasts in themselves. If God doesn't kill me or if he doesn't allow people to kill me, this is one thing I am extremely passionate about. And I believe Paul was too. Do not think much of yourself. You are the problem why salvation had to come. And it's salvation based upon grace, not on your own merits, not on your good will because you had none the Bible says. God had to change you from the inside. And that was something that you could not choose to do on your own. While you were enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for you. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. All in the mind of God. Eternity past, eternity future is settled in the mind of God. And this is what we learn at the end of 8, right after these amazing truths what shall we say to these things if god is for us who could be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against god's elect God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Those for whom Christ died for, he also intercedes for permanently. Can anyone stop the intercession of the great high priest? I don't think anyone would want to think that they can even though sometimes we might try to think that way so this is the question who will separate us from the love of Christ Can it? and then Paul's going to summarize what yeah. any possible thing that you could possibly think of <clears throat> will tribulation separate us from the love of Christ distresses persecution famine nakedness peril sword being killed just as it is written in the scriptures for your sake God we believers are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered that's not a very popular Christian message one you will not hear spoken by prosperity preachers famine persecution nakedness prison because the gospel of the true gospel is offensive and people are going to put you to death. And if you look at the New Testament, and you read Acts, and you read early church history, people died for this quite severely, and were beaten. Paul is an example. But in all these things, we Christians overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor any angel nor any rule of any kind, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that love that is so exhaustive and so huge is that Romans 8:29 through 31 love. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. Nothing can thwart God's unbreakable chain of redemption. The unbreakable chain of salvation. You could be killed, you can sin, you will sin, as a believer, pretty much every day, in little in varying ways. But nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is a gracious choosing, electing, set God setting his love on you kind of love. And so, we see that God predestines and elects and people hear the gospel. And then third, like Romans 6 and Romans 8 talk about, they receive this new heart and they respond to the truth of the gospel by repenting and believing the message. This is a, all of this is purchased by the atonement of Jesus Christ that we covered back in Romans 3. Fifth, people are justified by God on the basis of faith, repentance and belief, which is faith. The Bible describes as both of these things, repentance and belief, as gifts from God that you did not have before. Gifts that were given to you when the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart and sealed you Sixth, you are being sanctified with a new heart and the Holy Spirit. You're putting to death the deeds of the body so that you know that you are alive in Christ. You hate sin, just as he does, and you're moving forward after holiness and truth. And then seven, a glorified future sinless body and rewards for believers to varying degrees will be handed out. And that's all of grace. You don't deserve any of this. You deserve one word, and that's hell, wrath, and torment. And so all this is possible by God's grace. By God's grace, number one. So all people have sinned. Romans three, eleven says that there's none who seek for God. There's no true seeker. No human being is a true seeker of God. And Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2 as well as Titus 3, That everyone is dead to any spiritual good. Everybody is dead in their trespasses and sins. And that they're actually unable to do spiritual good in God's eyes. To do true spiritual good. I'm not talking about when we use the term, Oh, this person was nice to me and they did some good and stuff like that. I think we all understand that. But true spiritual good unto worshiping God and meriting something in God's favor is impossible according to the scriptures. Men are not able, is the language, to do this. They're not able to please God on their own. And so what I believe and what I'm trying to teach you is because of our sinful nature, no one can come to God on their own accord or by their will. Romans 9 talks about God's gracious choice of you. Uh, He talks about how he chooses people before they've done anything good or bad. It's not on the basis of foresight, of good works. Those terms are actually used in Romans 9. And it's continued in the imagery of how Paul is illustrating how God has saved people in Israel's past. He uses the example of Elijah and 7,000 men who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. It was all by God's gracious choice, he says, not on the basis of works not on the basis of whether you're going to do anything good or bad in the future, because everybody's done bad, and everybody deserves to help. Everybody deserves to remain in this condemned by God sinful nature, which we've been enslaved to. And that's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 8 for us. When he's teaching the Israelite people, his people, he's saying, guys, you are slaves of sin, and you cannot get out from that slavery on your own. If the Son makes you free, you will be free. And they wanted to argue with Jesus on that. They wanted to believe in their system that they, that's not true, Jesus. And many of them walked away from him when he tried to teach them this truth. Did you know that? It has to be me, Jesus. No, it's got to have something to do with me. I'm not a slave of sin. I'm Abraham's child, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm a good guy, or I'm a good girl, whatever. Jesus says, you know, you're a slave of sin, and unless I make you free, you won't be free. The Son has to make you free, and then you will be free indeed. The Son doesn't set everyone free by his choice. Because John also says he doesn't pray for the whole world in John 17, 9, 10, and 11. And in Romans 11, we are learning that God's salvific plan for Israel is not finished. And that in the future, God will pour out this great salvific grace upon many, many Israelites. There will be a great outpouring of salvation that will be effectual just as it is for everyone who's believed throughout redemption history old testament and new okay i open it up to questions from you guys you can ask me any question you want i know this is a difficult subject i'm just here to talk about it okay if there's questions and stuff that you struggle with over this let me know maybe i can help by just giving you some verses to look at and consider, okay?
1: Would you agree that three, four, and five in all in all cases are
0: boom, boom, booms? Simultaneous? Practically.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: they they happen quickly. Um, Uh, And this is not an exhaustive list of everything that we see in Scripture, so uh, between 2 and 3, some people experience a longer period of time between the hearing of the gospel. Some people relate how they feel there's a long drawing and a calling toward God that they can look back on, and for others it's like immediate. Immediately into regeneration and repentance is immediate. For other people, it's still, regardless, regeneration I believe, <clears throat> immediately results in repentance and faith. But human beings aren't always able to relate what truly happens in their hearts accurately according to Scripture. And that's also why people struggle with this. We want to believe our hearts still and what we believe. It's really a struggle to let go and to let truth be truth. Um, and not everybody has received training to the certain degree or has memorized Scripture or and not everyone's been been given as much understanding on this. So thank you, Pastor Ron. Um I
3: have a question. Yes. Last week you were kind of talking on Ephesians and specifically in Ephesians 1 where he's talking about okay, he chose us and him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us to adoption as a son through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So um, I have been taught in the past that that us is the church collective, the church.
0: So by church collective, would that include in your mind all people in the Old Testament as well?
3: Well, I guess I hadn't gone there with it in my mind where I was going with it, or where I. I think I've been taught is that, um, and, and up until recently, I haven't been taught a lot of what you're saying, but that, and in the church for the whosoever will, so that that church as a vehicle is the predestined versus the individual. I, mean, I don't even know how to really word my question, but can you help me <coughs> understand the us, I guess? Is that situation?
0: also how you were taught Romans 9? Yes. Okay, so you're talking about people believe the term Israel is a salvific instrument, not salvation itself.
3: The Church. I haven't been I haven't been taught so much the replacement theology thing, but that that the Church is the predestined, and the individual coming in is the whosoever will, and. Not
0: so much the predestined individual, but the predestined church. Yes, and well, theologically, there's not a difference. If you're saved, you're in the church, okay. and if you're saved in the Old Testament.
3: I think the huge dif- the huge difference I notice in the two teaching is one says that the church is chosen, and one says that the individual is chosen.
0: Who makes up the church?
3: Well, individuals, but that
0: the individuals is the yeah. I don't know. I, I it's confusing in my mind. It's hard. Um, let's let's look at Romans nine real quick. So some, uh, I, I will say this bluntly. Armenians try to take Armenian scholars. Okay, not all Armenians and not all people who call themselves Reformed Calvinists in the doctrines of grace, if you will. Um, is this, what, what they try to do is start with Romans 9 is talking about Isaac, Abraham. They're, they're talking about these men are vehicles for, for preaching the truth of God. The, uh, the early form of the gospel and God's law and God's promises. And then they like to say that Jacob was, was uh, chosen for this purpose and not Esau. But that's not what Paul says at all. He says a salvation in 9 through 11. It's not about being instruments. You are instruments by nature. That's other scriptures and texts. Those who are saved are those who go forth and start this cycle over by preaching the gospel to people, and then people are regenerated by the Holy Spirit wherever He wills, John 3, uh, 6, 10, 17. And they're justified, being sanctified, and will be glorified. Okay. And then they, some people will try to use um, verse 21 of 9. Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make one, one from the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? The honorable use they try to interpret and as being um, a national witness, that you get to be the witness of the gospel. But that's not what Paul's point is. Let's read verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it's the remnant that will be saved. It's not talking about be used for gospel calling. Everyone who's saved is used for gospel calling. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly, just as Isaiah foretold. And this is really important. Unless the Lord of Sabaoth, which means angels' armies. And this is what's talking about wrath. Okay, angels deal out the wrath of God. We see that in the Old Testament on Sodom and Gomorrah. Unless the Lord of angel armies who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah had left to us a posterity, meaning that remnant, meaning some survivors. We would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah and so in another way Paul's saying this is by God's elective grace to leave some of us alive (laughs) for salvation and to continue being gospel calling people Uh, what shall we say then Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness even the righteousness which is by faith do you think that he's talking about calling you into an instrument Of the church building or national Israel or that you're obtaining righteousness by faith and salvation this is individual salvation which is why Paul points on into Romans 10 talking about how they aren't being saved they're trying to establish their own righteousness they're seeking to establish their own righteousness, and they're not subjecting themselves to Christ and the righteousness that comes from God through faith to everyone who believes. In Romans 10, 1 through 4, Moses writes about the man who practices righteousness. Everything is like on a, an individual scale, but how you're called into a, a national identity, being Israel. Uh, and this isn't dealing with the church. This is dealing with Israel. Specifically, however, there's so many similarities between this and the church as you study the rest of the scriptures. And... Uh, Verse 11, may it never be, but by the Israelites' transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Gentile people groups. Who get called into the church, but are being individually saved. I don't believe it's really consistent to apply national corporate body hermeneutics to this passage, because there's too many individual... (coughs) Salvific sections that use the same terms for salvation through the whole New Testament. Yes.
2: I'm just wondering, the word church is that ecclesia, and does that mean called out ones? So, just the the church itself is those that are elect and called out. And I'm just thinking about what she was saying on how that would in our understanding of what the composition of the
0: church is Yes. being marked out, called out. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he intercedes for the saints, back in Romans 8, according to the will of God. And we know that God caused all things to work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the purpose that's being displayed there is salvation. I think the the emphasis on this whole section is salvation, and we learn in other scriptures that you are called into a large um, organization, which would be the church. I don't believe these pastors are talking about the church. Does that help, Lisa? Yeah, it's
3: just, it's a lot to think about and to, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, um, to say this without sounding weird but when you read scripture it's hard not to read it according to how you've been taught mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just a change, change in thinking.
2: yep
0: I think Ephesians 2 helps as you continue to read that section and you talking about the Ephesians in general you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too... Apostles included, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. And we indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, was everyone made alive in Christ at the same time. At different individual times, even, even looking at the church in Philippi and Acts, Lydia gets saved, and Paul gets imprisoned, and then the Philippian jailer gets saved a little later. Now, they're getting added to the church, but they're being individually saved through time. And this language is talking about salvation. But individuals being saved means God is building his church and bringing people into the corporate church body. Uh... Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised mm. us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Does everybody come to faith at the same time and receive righteousness of Christ? And so I, I believe these passages, are it's salvation, individual salvation. But when you get saved in the, in the New Testament, you got baptized and added into apostolic teaching, pastoral teaching, and fellowship with believers. That was common. That was the norm. That was the New Testament norm.
1: Any other questions? Does that help? Or... Um, I'm kind of looking at my past. And, and asking this question as it related to me. Um, when I realized that I was a sinful man and I came to repentance, you know, after watching, of all things, the 700 Club one night at 3 in the morning, um, I, I realized the nature of man that I was and a sinful man. And uh, I repented you know, that night, and granted, it was, took a long while for me to even really come to God and really know Him, and as a matter of fact, it's taken a long time in my eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, um, would you say, um, yeah, everybody talks about receiving the Spirit, would you say it was the Spirit and work at me at that time that caused me to repent, or did the Spirit come to me afterwards?
0: I cannot authoritatively tell you that. Uh, That's a big subject. Um, The subject of assurance. How do I know that I'm saved? So, I'll give you two things. A, you could very well have been saved the first time you repented, or you could have had a worldly sorrow that God produced, which curbed sinful appetites for a time. Or B, um, I'm sorry, you could have been saved And then sanctification took a very long, slow, gradual process in your life as an individual Christian. And your life will not look the same as everybody else's in this room. B, God could have, by grace, in his common grace and kindness, caused a a worldly sorrow to a degree, which is by God's grace, and allowed to curb some sinfulness in your life to a degree for time. That does also happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at people in scripture 2 uh, Corinthians talks about it though how God, Paul says for the Corinthians God placed a godly sorrow which caused fruit and good works which was in bearing with repentance so all repentance does not look the same there can be a, a, a type of repentance but it's not necessarily a salvific repentance I don't know, Irv, for you
1: well I'm just wondering because so, what
0: matters is, today, you yeah. know that you repent, trust in Jesus Christ. And God says, I don't want you to think about the past so much. Right. God, most of the scriptures say, today. Paul says, look at your life today. Are you still repenting, still believing, and still moving forward? Today and tomorrow is what matters. The past, we can muddy, and John says this in 1 John. You can condemn yourself looking at your past as a Christian, you'd be like, I wasn't saved then, now I'm saved, now I'm saved, now I'm saved, now I'm saved. And John's trying to teach people as a good pastor in 1 John, there's steady growth, and you can't fail first. You'll look at 1 John, you'll read 1 John, you'll be like, dude, I'm definitely not saved. I do not love like John says to love. But then at the same time, he says this, your heart will condemn you, but then your heart should also assure you. Your heart will condemn you because you see sin, but then your heart should assure you because you see good works that you've started to love. You've started to repent from sin and you're, you're working forward in, in God and Christ' likeness. So, John says, your heart can condemn your assurance, but then God gives you truth, which tells you the reality, which is if you see repentance and faith and that you're striving to love people, then truth is what's supposed to be greater than your heart. Your heart... still condemn and deceive you as a christian and john says do not trust your heart trust what you see coming out of your life and that's what jesus says too in the gospel have you seen a change coming out of your life and that's the truth that you need to sit on not on your interpretation of your life in your heart because that can you can be wrong and you may very well have been saved for a long time that helps we can talk about it more (laughs) five more minutes anybody else People got some stuff on their mind. But I won't force it out you. <clears throat> so next week we will continue on Israel. Yes?
2: Um, just the, going back just a few moments in your conversation about when in our lives we were saved. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So... That's when God sovereignly made that choice, and then in my time and space that I live in, there was an appointed day for which I would receive
0: that gift Yep. So, wait, wait. Yep. Okay. So, right? Yes. Absolutely. Would you turn to 2 Timothy 1 <coughs> and read verses? Start reading at verse 8, please. 2
2: Timothy 1, read? Okay. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So before the world was formed...
0: When were you saved in God's mind? from eternity past. And from eternity past, it was granted to you in Christ to be saved, to receive a holy calling, a distinct calling, a calling which the Holy Spirit effectually places on your life through regeneration. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Or God the Father. If the God the Father has set his love on you, no created thing, angel or human, including, and that would include yourself, you cannot separate yourself from God's <coughs> love. Stuff to think about. <clears throat> Some stuff to think about. Let's pray and we'll adjourn. <coughs> Thank you for your truth, God. Thank you that when we sin, we still see we can still see the truth that we are supposed to believe in, regardless of our sin and the condemnation that our heart and conscience brings upon us for when we sin. Thank you that truth is what we set our, our minds upon. Thank you. That truth is outside of us, but that we get the benefits of it through Christ by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen.